I'm life and business coach, Samantha Sifring, and this is the Online Business Building Mamas podcast, where you learn how to build a wildly successful business from home while raising kids. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. So today I wanted to do something kind of fun. I wanted to have an Ask Samantha episode where I hop on here and take questions that I've received from all of you who listen. And so I have a bunch of questions that I'm going to be answering today. And I have not prepared any answers for them. I've looked through the questions and kind of thought a little bit about what I want to say, but I don't have any notes or anything. So you know me, who knows what's going to happen. I'm sure I'm going to be going on some rants. So let's go ahead and get into it. So the first question that I got is, I'd love to know how you personally kept or keep pursuing your business through the more challenging seasons of motherhood. All right. So this one, like I was really thinking about, and I was wondering like, why is this not something that feels difficult to me? Maybe why is this not something where I'm like, Oh yeah, it feels super hard because when I read this, I was like, oh, I don't think that that's something I really struggle with. And here's why I think, I think the first part of this is that I'm not in this alone. So my husband, Stuart is full-time home with me. He does a little bit of work in the business, but mainly he is taking care of the kids and taking care of the house. And he's doing drop off and pick up the vast majority of the time. He is going to parent teacher conferences. He's the one that the school calls now when somebody throws up at school, which happened earlier this week (laughs) that I'm recording this. So that I think is a huge part of The secret now, it's not a secret, but a huge part of how I do it now is having someone else who is helping me with it. That really makes a really big difference. I would say the other part of this currently is that I don't think about my business all the time. So I think that this question in my mind is almost like, how do you keep going to your job through the more challenging seasons of motherhood? So my business is my job. It's not my hobby. It's not my like special passion, although I'm passionate about it, right? But it's my job. So I don't take off of having a job when I have something going on with my kids. Now, I might take some days off. I might take, a, you know, a week off, whatever I need when I have something that's going on with a child. But I look at it as like taking some time off work more than like, oh, how could I possibly think about my business when my personal life has this going on? Like to me, that's just not how I look at it because I look at my business as my job. So I think about it exactly like somebody would think about their job when they're having a challenging personal situation. So I think that that helps a lot. So 
What else I would say about this is earlier on in my business, like when Stuart was still working and when my business wasn't the sole income producer for our family and I was working during school hours and like during the summer, I a couple days a week would have a nanny come in for a few hours. So back when it was that time of my business, I really, I think was just gentle with myself. Like if I had a kid who was homesick from school, then I would likely let my clients know. I would make sure that I had breaks in between each client call so I could check in with the child. Your business doesn't have to be like your top number one thing that you think about and put your energy into for it to be successful. I think that is kind of a misconception. Like we have this idea that like our business has to be our number one. It has to be like taking over our mind and our personal life life has to be very calm and all of those things. And it's just not true. You need to be all in with your business during your business hours. And during your non-business hours, you get to think about other things and you don't have to think about your business at all. And I actually recommend that you have time every single day where you don't let yourself think about your business at all. Thinking about your business when it is not work time is the fastest way to get exhausted and burn out and resent your business. So anyway, this feels like it's been a little bit <laughs> all over the place, but I will say that without fail, We usually get a call from the school or an email from a teacher or something like that every single time I'm in a launch. It's like the universe conspires (laughs) to have personal situations happening with our kids when I am in a launch period. And, you know, sometimes it's like someone got injured. Sometimes it's someone was naughty. Sometimes it is, you know, someone hasn't been doing their math homework all year. But whatever it is, you know, those things are always coming up and it never feels good, but I have time for it. You know, I have time outside of work that I get to focus on those things. I get to take care of my kids and have those relationships and all of that. So hopefully that was helpful to those of you out there. This doesn't have to be perfect, right? Like sometimes motherhood is really hard and we just can't give our all to our business and that's okay because your business doesn't need your all. I know, crazy. Okay, the next question is how do you figure out your first product as a coach? So... Not all of you who listen are coaches. I know that there are a lot of coaches out there who listen, but I would say the vast majority of people who listen are service providers of some sort. So if you're not a coach, you are a graphic designer, a bookkeeper, a copywriter, those types of things. And what I recommend actually for all service providers for their very first offer, their first product, is that they go with one-on-one unless they have a huge audience. So this is like either one-on-one coaching, one-on-one like done-for-you services, that kind of thing. Unless you have tens of thousands or more people in your audience because 
You want to be able to maximize the amount of money you can make per yes when you have a smaller audience. Otherwise, like imagine, you know, if you have an audience of 100,000 and you're selling something for like $20, if we think about, now I'm like getting into trickiness with math. Okay. So if you think about like a 5% conversion rate, which is fairly normal, that is 5,000 people times $20. So that is what? $100,000 that you would make. So that actually seems low, but I guess that's the $20 offer. Anyway, hopefully what you're learning from that is that when you have a lot of people in your audience, you can have a low cost product that you sell to a lot of people. But if you have an audience of 100 people and then your 5% is going to just be five people and you're selling that for $20, that's $100. You would be working so hard to make that happen and then you would feel very discouraged that you only made $100 to make that happen. But let's say you are selling something that costs like $1,000. Now you've made $5,000, right? If you're selling something that is $5,000, that's $25,000. So you want to really be thinking about that when you have a pretty small audience, when you're just starting out, you want to have a higher ticket offer. Now you want it to be equal value for the people who are buying it. And this is kind of getting into the weeds. If you want to get more support with this, this is something that I coach on and teach on in Mama to CEO. That's a perfect place for you to dig into this deeper. But essentially, that is my guidance, my like general way to do it. That's not how everyone chooses to do it. But the advice that I just give to the masses is always gonna be geared towards how can the average person make the most money the quickest? So that's where that advice is coming from. Next is related to audience size too. Does the size of your audience matter much when you decide to launch a free event? And yes, the size of your audience matters all the time. It impacts all of the things, but it doesn't mean that you can't have a free event that's successful if you have a smaller audience. I obviously used to have a small audience when I first started my business. I had a small audience. The first annual planning event I ever did, no one came to it live and like maybe one person watched the replay, if that. The second time I did it, I had like 200 people come live and it's because I grew my audience that year in between those two events. So audience size does matter. It does make an impact. But here's what I'll say. If you're launching a free event and you have a small audience or honestly, even if you don't, let's not rely on your audience alone. When you are launching a free event, you wanna get that in front of as many eyeballs as you can, both in your audience and outside of your audience. You don't want to limit something like that to only your audience. So likely you have seen me promoting Design 2023. You can actually still sign up and watch all of the replays and all of that at 
2023.samanthasiffring.com. But I have been promoting that, like leading up to the event, I was promoting that. And I didn't just promote it to my audience. Now, I have an audience of thousands of people. And I didn't just rely on the people who are there. I really thought about what are all the ways we can get this in front of more eyeballs. I asked people to share with their friends. I ran ads. We actually got a lot of people who came through ads because ads, it's a line item in my business budget now. It doesn't have to be in yours if you're just starting out. But all this to say, yes, audience size matters, but don't get in the trap of only thinking about your audience When you're doing a free event, it actually is a great time to grow your audience. So my audience in November and December grew way more than in an average month because I was promoting design, because I was promoting a free event. So use your free event as a way to grow your audience audience. It's not just about converting people into your paid offer. It's also a way to grow your audience. Okay. How do you handle clients that are stressful slash terrible? Okay. This might be news to some of you, but you are going to have clients that are stressful and potentially terrible Even if you haven't had them yet, they are coming. The more you grow your business, the more opportunity there is for those kinds of situations. So what you really want to have up front is an agreement. You want to have an agreement with your clients. What are my promises to you and what are your promises to me? What are the terms of our relationship and our agreement? You want that totally outlined And you both want to be very clear on what those things are. You want to sign that. You want that to be something that you're both going into with full understanding and agreement of what is in there. I think that really helps to avoid a lot of bad situations. And it also helps if you do happen to have a client that there's a bad situation with, you can refer back to the agreement. That's why it's there. So that's the first piece of advice. I guess the very first one was it's normal if this happens to you. And the second is have an agreement where you're outlining those things and use the agreement. And I think the last thing that I want to say about this is I really like to Look at people through the lens of loving them and assuming the best and knowing that they might be feeling more afraid in the situation than me. I think sometimes as a business owner with our clients, we forget that there is a power dynamic there. I know it's super easy to feel like afraid of your clients and that kind of thing, but really your clients are going to be more afraid than you are most of the time because you are the one with the most power in that situation. So I really like to bring that to the table, like bring that in my mind and come with a lot of compassion and understanding for why people might be stressful and terrible because we all have moments when we are. So those are my thoughts on that. What is the most surprising 
part about having a successful online business? That's an interesting question. I think this is the most surprising part, and maybe you've heard me talk about this before, but this is like the worst news. (laughs) So when I hit a million dollars annual revenue in my business, the next launch that I had after that, I didn't hit my goal, and it was a difficult launch for me emotionally. And I had just kind of expected for some reason, like, oh, now that I've hit a million dollars, things will be very easy for me and I'll just hit my goals and it will be great. And that is not how it happened. And I actually, from then on, had like a series of difficult launches where I didn't hit my goal and I felt bad during the launch and really had to learn to have a launch where I didn't hit my goal. I really had to learn how to fail and not make that mean that I didn't know what I was doing or that I was never gonna figure it out because I actually then did end up having a launch where I surpassed my goal and it felt amazing and I could look back and see how all of the failure and the struggles had really led me to that place where I figured those things out and it got easier and it got more fun. And of course, that was not a permanent destination, right? There's been hard things. There's been failures since that moment as well. That's just part of it. So I think it's easy to look at somebody like me or you know, even somebody who's making six figures in their business and think they've got it all figured out and when I'm there, it's going to be so much easier and better and it just isn't. It just totally isn't. You're still going to have the ups and downs. You're still going to have the failures. You're still going to have hard times. Like There's always going to be things that are difficult and... I think that that has maybe been the most surprising thing to me that that still happens. I think I really had this idea that I would finally find a place where it just felt easy and it just worked. And that is a myth. That is not a place. (laughs) So if you're trying to find that place, stop trying to find that place. It does not exist. But the fact that it doesn't exist doesn't mean you can't be super successful in your business. What did your schedule look like when you were first getting started in business? When I was first getting started, like the year where I made $40 in the whole year, my schedule then was very inconsistent. My schedule then looked like me taking like a whole month off at a time and me having weeks where I worked like a ton, creating a ton of stuff, and then weeks where I was just depressed and things weren't working. So it was very much all over the place. The next year after that, I had set business hours. I had consistent hours each week where I was working my business, and I spent the majority of time talking to people. And for me, this was online networking. So I was really active in a bunch of Facebook groups. I got on Zoom for chats with basically anybody who would talk to me. And that's what I did. And I did that like when my kids were in school. 
school primarily. I think I started out maybe even with just like 10-ish hours a week, if that maybe. It wasn't a bunch. I didn't start with a whole bunch because I still had a young child who was not in preschool yet. So you don't have to start with a ton of time and you don't have to start with like a super regimented schedule either. I'm someone who likes a very open-ended schedule. Like what I prefer is knowing what my work hours are going to be for the week, like knowing what those blocks of time are, like which days, what amount of time, and then having a list of tasks and then showing up to work at whatever the time is and looking at whatever task is either the most urgent or I'm most interested in doing. So that's kind of how I do it even now, but that's how I was doing it then as well. Let's see. What's your copywriting process? (laughs) I love this question because this makes it sound like I have a copywriting process, which I don't. I mostly just kind of think about what do I want to say? What do I want to say to my people? If I'm feeling really stumped for content, then I have exercises that I do. I have so many journal prompts for coming up with copy ideas and copywriting and all of that. They're actually all in the book that I wrote, Copy That Compels. And you get that when you join Mama to CEO. So if you want all of those details, all of the tips and tricks from me, It is inside Mama to CEO in that book. But yeah, I don't have a process. I don't need a process. You don't need a process. You can truly just show up and talk to your people. You don't have to have it be so formal. What I will say is that I am always very focused on the outcome that I want. So what is the intention of the piece of copy that I'm writing. Sometimes it's just for value. It's just like, I wanna help people. I wanna put something out there to support them, make them feel good, to deepen our relationship with each other and how much they like and know and trust me. A lot of the time I'm thinking about putting out something for engagement. So I'm thinking about what's the thing that somebody's really going to want to comment on or share. And I can look at historical data for that. I can use my best guess and do an experiment for that. But I think that that's always a really important part of our content, that we're we're having multiple types of pieces of content, if that makes sense. So we have some that's just the value, that's just showing up and serving strictly. We have the kind that is targeted for engagement because That is how we play the game of the algorithm. And then we have the stuff where we're making the invitation, where we are inviting them to take that next step with us, whatever that is going to be. So I am always mindful of the intention when I'm creating any copy. So you should also be mindful of those things. What is the most impactful mindset shift you had in the beginning? So the very most impactful one, the one that got me making money when I hadn't really been making money at all, was believing that there was only so many ways to fail and that I was willing to do all of them. Like I was willing to try all of the ways to fail 
And if I did that, eventually I would succeed because that would be the only option left. I almost imagine that I was like in a hallway with like a hundred doors and all of them were fails except for one. And it was like, I will open every door in this hallway and eventually the only one left will be the success one. And that was such a powerful thought for me because it took away the fear of failure and really allowed me to just keep showing up because I realized failure was going to be part of the process and each failure was leading me closer to success. So I think a lot of us, a lot of you (laughs) will fail and then there's this long recovery time because you're making it mean that you're further away from success. Like each failure is further away from success. But I believe that each failure is getting me closer to success. So then I am willing to fail more. I'm willing to attempt more. I'm not afraid of failure. I just keep going, 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 trying to fail as quickly as I can actually, or like have as many failures back to back as I can, because I know the faster the pace of doing that, the faster the pace of getting to the success that I want. So that is the mindset that I wish I could program all of you with because it made such a big difference for me and my business. What podcasts do you listen to? This one's funny because I don't listen to any business podcasts, which I think some of you have probably heard me say that before, but if you haven't, you're probably stunned. But it's just not for me. It is not what I'm into these days. So my top podcasts at the moment are Faded Mates. That is a romance novel podcast. Drop Your Buffs, which is a survivor podcast. Game of Roses, which is a bachelor podcast. Girls Next Level, which is a Girls Next Door podcast. And let me see. Oh, I just started listening to the Bravo Docket, which is a like lawyers talking about Real Housewives and like Bravo show lawsuits kind of podcast. So lots and lots of pop culture currently. You can probably tell I like watching TV and I like listening to podcasts about TV and I like listening to podcasts about romance novels. So nothing enriching, just completely entertaining. And I really like podcasts because for me, for my brain, that is how I get stuff done. I listen to podcasts while I do anything. Like I have to have a podcast on to like get ready in the morning, to get ready for bed at night. Like I will just like sit and be a bump on a log unless I'm listening to a podcast and then I can be moving. So if you're somebody who struggles with motivation to get things done, then maybe you need to listen to podcasts too. Okay, so... Let's see. I have a couple more questions left. What do you do when mindset work doesn't feel like it's working? So this is something that I think is super important to talk about because I think it's really easy for people when they are doing mindset work and doesn't feel like it's working to think that they are the problem. Like, what is wrong with me that this isn't working for me? That is is first of all, not very helpful, but it's also not super accurate. And there's a couple reasons why mindset work 
might not be working. The first one is that you're not really taking it deeper. You're not really taking it to an emotional level and you're doing it almost like it's an assignment. So you're staying like only in like the top layer of your mind. You're just kind of like filling in a worksheet or like writing words, but you're not feeling any emotional shift. So that would be a huge reason why it's not working because the whole point of mindset work is an emotional shift and how the emotional shift impacts the way that you show up and like what you're actually doing. That is why we do mindset work for business so that it impacts how we feel and how we show up. So that's the first thing to look for. And the other thing that I notice personally and with clients when mindset work seems like it's really not making a difference is that you may have a deeper issue. The last time that this happened for me, it was a huge tip off that I needed to talk to my doctor and actually needed to go on some medication, that I was struggling with anxiety, struggling with depression, which is something that I've struggled with for basically all of my adult life. And anytime mindset work doesn't really feel like it's working, that is my sign that I need to be on medication. So last time that happened, I don't even remember when that was, but at that time I just decided I'm just going to stay on my medication and not go off because I always end up back on and that seems kind of silly. So if you are in that boat, then it would be really good for you to talk to your doctor and talk about the options. Okay. Last question. This one's so fun. If you weren't a business coach, what would you be doing? I have a million ideas. I could be doing so many different things. These are like the top things coming to mind. So the first one is being like a relationship coach. So talking to people about like dating or marriage or something like that. That's actually what my master's degree is in, marriage and family therapy. So that is a passion of mine. And then the other thing that I was thinking about is some kind of like done for you service related to business or marketing. So maybe like copywriting or social media management or being an online business manager, something like that is what I would be doing because I could take my same expertise and just do things for people, which would be awesome. So those are my thoughts on what else I would be doing. And I think it's like a fun question to ask yourself. So if you haven't asked yourself that question, you definitely should. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this Ask Samantha podcast. I hope you loved hearing these. And I definitely want to keep doing these periodically. So send me your questions and I will save them up for a future episode. All right, I will talk to you all next time. Bye. If you like this podcast, I want to invite you to coach with me over in my program, Mama to CEO. There's you and there's the consistent income you want to make in your business. And I help you remove everything standing in between. It's lifetime access for mastering your marketing, sales, time, and everything else you need to have the business and life you really want. 
whether it's making your first thousand or a hundred thousand, I can help you do it. To join, go to mamatoceo.com. M-A-M-A-T-O-C-E-O.com.